Hi everyone, welcome to Ask the Horse Live. I'm your host, Michelle Anderson, Digital Managing Editor of The Horse. Tonight's topic is feeding your horse through the winter. Well, here in Central Oregon, the time change happened last weekend. Snow followed on Monday, and today the path out to my horses was covered in ice. There's no denying it, winter is definitely on its way. And with winter, we start getting worried about keeping weight on our old horses and hard keepers, as well as transitioning horses from pasture to hay to help us all get our horses ready for winter. We are joined by a PhD equine nutritionist, uh, Claire Tunes. Welcome, Dr. Tunes. Hi, thanks for having me back. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your experience helping manage horses and what they eat? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have an equine nutrition consulting company called Summit Equine Nutritionist. And through that, I work with individual horse owners, veterinarians, helping people determine you know, what the best feeds are and feeding programs are for their horses. Um, I also do some consulting for feed companies and supplement companies um, and, uh, you know, I've worked with everything from miniature donkeys up to Olympic, you know, bronze medal horses. So I've run the gamut as far as, you know, what equines I work with. I work with a lot of senior horses, a lot of, um, you know, sort of horses that have metabolic problems and the like. So really, you know, all kinds of horses in all kinds of situations. And, you know, although I don't as much time to ride anymore I um, myself was an equestrian and um, competed in the equine disciplines growing up and predominantly focused on dressage and eventing so I have some sense of you know the things we ask our horses to do as well from a from a management standpoint and actually having to own horses um, I've never owned horses in super cold climates but I grew up in England and certainly have a lot of experience with wet climates <laughs> Yeah, well, that's. I was going to point out you are in Northern California, and I I don't know that you experience the winters that that we experience up here in Central Oregon, um, but you do have clients all over the country that that you consult with, don't you? Absolutely, yeah, I have clients all, all over New England, all down the East Coast, and even up in Canada, and some pretty harsh winter climates up there for sure. Yeah, well, for tonight's event, we had um, over 600 people registered, and. Uh, turning in questions, so we tried to, to pare them down, but I want to give everyone who's listening live a review of our Ask the Horse Live format. Uh, well, we're going to be starting with those questions that everyone submitted during registrations. If you'd have questions, though, that you'd like to ask live, or if you want a clarification, or you want to follow up on something that Dr. Tunis has shared, uh, please enter that in the chat window in front of you if you're listening through your computer browser. We're going to do our best to get to as many as your questions as possible. So with that, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, Dr. Tunes, our first question is from Jessica in Idaho. And Jessica wants to know, what's the ideal body condition score to shoot for with horses that will be in limited work throughout the colder months? Should she fat fatten her horse up a little bit before winter is here? That's a really good question. And, you know, the ideal body condition score for, you know, majority of our horses is, our working horses is kind of between sort of four and a six. Uh, you know, those horses that are doing kind of speed endurance type work might be on the lighter end of that, you know, closer to sort of four and a half. Um, our brood mares and the like, we tend to keep on the slightly heavier side. So that's just kind of general guideline of where we try to keep horses. You know, most of our riding pleasure horses, we try to keep around a five. Um, Certainly, you know, with the winter, we want to have that, you know, we definitely want them closer to that sort of five um, 
because they do burn more calories keeping warm and having that little bit of fat insulation will help keep them warm. Yeah, you know, would I would I fatten the horse up for winter? I think that really depends on the individual horse. Um, and it really helps if you know your horse. I mean, do you have an easy keeper? Because if you have an easy keeper, uh, winter might be a great opportunity for them to lose some weight. Think about a horse in its natural setting. They tend to gain weight in the spring and summer, and then you have these you know, cycles that they go through where they then naturally lose weight. That weight they've gained during the summer, those stored calories are then uh, very useful in the winter because uh, in the natural setting, they're often unable to consume enough calories to maintain their condition um, during the winter. And so they have to burn uh, stored body fat calories to keep warm. Um, but you know, our tendency you know, with our domesticated horses is we don't really want them to lose weight. We don't like them to do that. So I think it's really important to know your horse. And um, you know, if it's a hard keeper, then yes. Uh, if you're gonna be struggling to keep weight on that horse all winter that you know they're a hard keeper, uh, despite your best efforts, they tend to lose weight, then it makes sense to have a little extra weight on them at this point in the calendar. If they're an easy keeper and it's not difficult to keep you know, weight on them, I don't think you really need to fatten them up before winter. In fact, you might be using winter as your friend to try and get some weight off that horse. So it really depends on the individual horse. Ideally, you know, we want them to be around about a five right now. Um, I like to see horses as so five, five and a half. Um, I don't mind you know, if they have that, you know, that little bit extra condition on them, as long as they're, you know, then allowed to get back to that five in, in the spring. Um, I worry more about the horses that are a little bit lean now, if those are also going to, you know, have a harder time keeping weight on as the winter goes on. Yeah. Yeah. And for everyone who's listening, we do have uh, some guides on the horse.com for body score conditioning. If you uh, want to get on there and do a search. And I think uh, Jennifer is going to look up a link for, for you guys and post it in the, uh, the chat box. So pay attention to that. Uh, if you want to learn more about how to body score condition your horse, I know you're mentioning a five, Dr. Tunis, and a five is often a little bit uh, more sleek than some of us keep our horses. So can you describe what a healthy five looks like? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the description of a five is is the horse's neck blends smoothly into the body, the um, that's fat built up over the spinous processes of the withers. They're not, you know, overly prominent. You have to keep in mind the breed of horse, obviously. I mean, if you have the shark fin thoroughbred, you may never get a lot of weight built up over the spinous processes of the withers. Um, the big thing that everybody always focuses on is ribs, right? I mean, people, you see ribs and everyone's like, oh my gosh, this horse is really thin. If you can see ribs, which I caution people not to be too obsessed with ribs. You have to really look at the whole horse. But having said that, um, you know, a five, you cannot see ribs, but they are easily felt. If you can see ribs, then the horse in that area is scores a less than a five. So the way I like to body condition score is I like to look at each of the six individual areas of a horse individually and I score each of those six areas um, and then I kind of take an average. Because you can find that you have a horse that you know you can see ribs but actually has crest fat and fat deposits around the tail head and that might be an indicator that that horse has something strange metabolically going on. Um, whereas if you just looked at ribs and said, oh, I can see ribs, that horse is too skinny, that's not necessarily true. So it's really important that you actually look at all six areas of the horse um, independently. But the ribs are a nice visual in that you can stand back and say, well, can I see this horse's ribs? 
yes, I can, then the rib section scores less than a five. If I can't see ribs easily, I know they're a five or higher. Um, and so then going on down the horse's back, looking in the loin area, is the back flat? That would be, you know, back is level, flat, that would be a five. If they're kind of peaked like a mountain range, then that's less than a five. If you've kind of got the Apple Valley thing going on down their back, then they're scoring more than a five and that kind of thing. So you can definitely look at the individual areas and assess uh, how that horse is doing uh, overall. And I would really encourage people to put their hands on their horses in the winter. Um, I think some of us don't ride as much in the winter as we do at other times of year. We're not grooming them as much. We're maybe not putting our hands on them. If we're letting them grow a full coat, they can look really fluffy and round. And then you put your hands on them and you're like, oh, wow, I can feel every rib on this horse, right? You really have to put your hands on them. Well, and I think to uh, get their blankets off too and check under those blankets um, during the winter is really Absolutely. important as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I've definitely had some clients that have, you know, been caught out that way where they've thought, oh, the horse looks mm -hmm. good. And then they shed out in the spring and they're like, oh, goodness, it's really skinny. Well, yeah. So our next question is from Melissa in Alberta, Canada, and it's a nice follow-up to the body score question. And it's Melissa is wondering what other key indicators for nutritional health, health are besides body condition scoring. So how can we look at our horses during the winter and know that they are getting the nutrition they need uh, to be healthy? Yeah, I think some of that just comes with, you know, the overall demeanor and picture that your horse presents, right? So you body condition score them, you know, you're, you're happy with where that is. Then you stand back and you look at that horse and you say, what's the coat condition like? You know, even a winter coat should still have that sort of slick feel to it, um, you know, and shouldn't be starey or dull. Uh, what's their hoof condition like? Are their hooves holding up? Oftentimes in the winter, you know, horses are exposed in less than ideal conditions for hoof health. Um, so some of that may just be the conditions, but certainly a horse that is on a lower plane of nutrition, their hoof health is not going to be as good. Their feet are not going to be as strong and they're not going to be able to withstand the demands of the wet, damp climate that perhaps we put, you know, they're in in the winter, as well as a horse that, uh, you know, all of its vitamin mineral needs are being met, for example. Um, you know, are they generally bright? Do they have a bright demeanor? Do they have bright eyes? Do they look um, you know, happy to see you, you know, are they, you know, personality wise, or are they just kind of dull and just sort of, you know, not looking that interested in life? Um, are you able to, if you're working your horse, is he still able to do the work of him that you're requesting of him, right? Is he, or is he now burning those calories that were previously being used to do the work you were asking of? Are those calories now going to keep him warm? In which case, maybe he doesn't have what he needs to actually be able to do the work you're asking of him if your horse is in work. And then the other thing I think is important um, is to keep an eye on manure and make sure that your horse is passing, you know, well-formed manure. Uh, I would rather see manure piles that are a little soft, especially in the winter, um, than, you know, really hard fecal balls, but that's a really important, you know, we tend to think a lot about feed, but water intake is vital in the winter and looking at manure and, um, how well you know the kind of form of the fecal balls can really be an indicator of whether your horse is consuming enough water or not. Uh, you mentioned uh, 
body score on horses that might have some metabolic issues might look a little different than mm -hmm. than our healthy horses. And we have a follow-up question from Cheryl in our live audience who wants to know about balancing the nutritional needs of those easy keepers or maybe our metabolic horses with extreme cold. She's talking about temperatures into the down to negative 20 Fahrenheit. How do you make sure your horse is getting the forage they need to stay warm and then also the nutrition they need uh, from that feed as well as then not blimping out um, eating all day? Right. And that's, you know, and that's a challenge. And, and, and hopefully, you know, in the act of keeping warm, you have a little bit more room to play there as far as, you know, being able to feed them a little more um, without them blimping out. I mean, I think, you know, if your horse is a, if your horse is getting fat and it's still in negative temperatures, then um, you really have an easy keeper and, you know, you can still feed to condition and monitor that intake. But certainly as temperatures drop, their calorie requirements do go up. And, um, you know, a fat horse is not going to feel the cold as quickly as a horse that's not fat. Fat is very insulating. Um, so you may not need to increase your hay rations as quickly if you're dealing with, you know, overweight horses than you will if your horses are underweight. So when we're talking about forage to help keep our horses warm, and especially for those of us who may choose not to blanket our horses, um, how does that forage keep them warm? Uh, throughout the cold temperatures? Yeah, that's a really um, good question. And, and so this, to understand that, you have to understand a little bit about, you know, equine digestive physiology and anatomy. So the forage component of you know, the horse's ration, a good amount of that is made up with what we call structural carbohydrates. These are carbohydrates such as cellulose, hemicellulose, lignin. And from the plant's perspective, they help that plant actually stand up and they give the horse, sorry, they give the plant structure. Um, they're quite difficult to digest. And in fact, mammals don't have the enzyme necessary to break those carbohydrates down. So for example, cellulose uh, is chains of glucose joined together uh, as is starch. Start, um, as is, you know, starch is also chains of glucose joined together. But the interesting difference is, is the bonds that hold them together uh, in cellulose, they're what we call beta-1,4 bonds. So if anyone's having flashbacks to high school uh, organic <laughs> chemistry, <laughs> you might remember alpha and beta bonds. Well, in starches, those glucose units are held together by alpha-1,4 bonds, and mammals have the enzyme to break those bonds. So that's why we can all eat you know, potatoes and pasta and starch, and your horse can digest the starch and oats. But the, um, when you have you know, those glucose units held together by beta-1,4 bonds making cellulose, but we don't have the enzymes to do that. But the microbes that live in the horse's hindgut do. And so we have this, the horses have this symbiotic relationship with those microbes in their hindgut, and those microbes break those bonds apart and release, uh, the, you know, the units that they use in the carbohydrate themselves. But it's not a very efficient process. So in the process of doing that, it's a, fermenta you know, it's a fermentation process, and any of you that have ever, um, you know, baked bread and used yeast or whatever, you know that you have, you know, there's heat involved, and um, it's not a very efficient process, and so you get heat generated, and so you're actually, when you feed a lot of forage to your horse, generating internal heat in their hindgut, so you're really stoking this little internal fire, for want of a better expression, in their hindgut, which helps keep them warm. 
so, so that's our, why it's really benef- that's why it's beneficial to go to forage when the weather gets cold. Um, it's better to do that than it is to go to more grain. So it's not necessarily just about calories during the winter. Right. I mean, so it, it, I mean, there's definitely the calorie component, but I, you know, you want to start off by trying to get those calories in them through forage, because not only when you, in, when you increase your hay intake, not only are you increasing calorie intake, you're also generating more heat production during the digestion of that hay. If you have a super hard keeper and you feed lots of hay and your horse is still losing weight, well, now we need to get more calories in that horse, probably from sources that are not forage-based. We have a question from Donald in New Brunswick. And Donald wants to know about feeding horses from large round bales on the ground. Is this a good idea? No, not really. (laughs) I'll be totally honest. Partly because it's a huge waste, it's a huge amount of waste. So it's interesting. University of Minnesota actually did a study feeding round bales on the ground versus putting round bales in feeders. And I don't know, can you guess how much, what the percentage waste was when they put them on the ground versus in a feeder? I, yeah, I don't know. A lot. <laughs> 60%. 60%. Yeah, when you just put it on the ground versus only 5% that was wasted when it was in a feeder. Um, when they found, they also found that when the hay was in a feeder, the horses consumed two to two and about two to two and a half percent of their body weight per day as hay Mm -hmm. versus when it wasn't in a feeder, they only consumed about 1.3% of their body weight per day. Really? Mostly because, yeah, yeah, mostly because of waste and contamination. So you're not only you throwing your money away, but you may also be putting your horse in a situation where they actually can't consume enough to maintain their body weight. And, you know, when it's super cold out, there's also the risk that when you put it straight on the ground, it gets moldy. Um, And so there is an increased risk of botulism. Mm -hmm. And that's when, because I have fed my horses from large bales in the past, I've tried it out uh, and they just kind of wallow in it. They're swimming in their right? hay. They sleep in it and they eat in it while they're laying. You know, they're down in the hay and they're eating it. And they, right. They pee on it and they trample it. But yeah. Um, but they do seem well, to like. I think everybody. Absolutely. I mean, free feeding hay is is great in cold weather. Um, but I also think you probably, you know, a lot of us have probably seen that picture that goes around the internet of the minis basically burrowed inside the round bale that makes mm-hmm. its way around social media every now and again. So you also have to think about. Um, you know, if your horse is really in hay like that, it's not great for their respiratory system either. Okay. Yeah. Um, so our next question is from Carissa in Florida. Um, and Carissa wants to know what the best strategy is for transitioning horses from fresh pasture to consuming hay as we move into the winter months. Oh, I love this question because we so often don't think about this we're far often more concerned about the transition from hay to pasture in the spring right um but this is something you have to think about um because we do see more incidences of colic in the winter in part because you're going from a high moisture pasture which could be 60 to 80 percent water down to more of a hay you know concentrate type diet possibly depending on the horse which probably only has about 15 percent moisture So when you take out all that moisture from the digestive tract, your risks of impaction colic go way up. Um, 
And um, so that's definitely, you know, you do need to do it slowly. I, you know, we all know, you know about making changes in grain slowly over time. We're often not so good about doing that when it comes to our forages. But, you know, ideally you would make a change slowly over kind of 10 days, to two weeks. Um, and ideally what you do, would do is you would start off by actually putting hay out in your pasture so that that horse, you know, is consuming its pasture as normal. And now there's a little bit of hay there for them to eat too. And gradually you would increase the hay available. Um, and as that, as that pasture is dying down, they're naturally going to be looking for something else to eat. Um, and I think those of us that have kept horses on pasture know that, you know, they, when, when the pasture is good, you can show up and they don't even really, you know, take much notice of you. When the quality of the pasture starts to drop, you know, sometimes they're standing at the gate waiting for you, right? It's like, where are you? So you, you kind of get indicators from your horses when they're out on pasture as to whether or not there's enough out there or not. So, you know, if your horse has gone from always being on the far side of the pasture every time you show up to like standing at the gate kind of going, hey, where are you? I've been waiting here, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's probably yeah. a sign that it's time to start putting some hay out. We have a follow-up question from the live audience about large round bales. It's from Rachel, and she wants to know if it's okay to then put a large bale in a large hay feeder, uh, and not the net kind, but the, the metal feeders that are designed for, for round bales. Do you have any suggestions or thoughts on, on that? I think that's fine. You need to make sure that whatever feeder you're using is designed for horses. Some mm -hmm. of those yeah. metal feeders are designed for cattle and their mm -hmm. head anatomy is different. Mm -hmm. And um, it's possible that a horse's head, you know, being different shaped could get stuck. It's possible that a horse could get their leg in it um, different than you know, perhaps a cow might. So mm -hmm. it's really important that if there are a multitude of different types of feeders out there, like metal feeders and plastic feeders and the like, make sure whichever one you pick has actually been designed for horses. And in an ideal world, like super ideal world, you'd have some kind of cover over it too. So that if it's out there for, you know, a few days and it starts raining, your bale isn't going to get wet, right? So ideally you have it undercover. Um, but, you know, just something as simple as having it on gravel having the bale on gravel um, is better than having it on dirt. Mm -hmm. So you don't always have to go to great expense buying a fancy feeder. You just have to kind of think about, can I make some kind of raised platform? For example, railroad ties are great, right? So railroad ties and then backfill the area like with gravel. Um, and then it's a, then the horses have to step up out of the mud to stand on the gravel to eat. Mm -hmm. um, and the act of stepping up over the railroad tie, they seem to leave the mud behind when they do that. Um, and you can use that in all sorts of areas. You can use that for water troughs. Um, we used to do that a lot at home where it was very wet. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned earlier in reference to the round bales, botulism being a problem. And I know we've done Ask the Horse Lives on botulism and have several articles online as well and I know that one recommendation that vets often make is to actually go through the hay and that's one of the challenges with the big bales is that if you have uh, dead rodents which are often a source of botulism uh, they can be processed into the bale during uh, when the when the field's being hayed and then you don't know they're there unless you are going through the hay so I think that that's um, important too for people to do if you are doing Absolutely. the large bales and, and I've definitely done it um uh, tried it uh, 
different years um, and uh, trying to make my life easier so I don't have to go out and feed quite so much. But uh, I, I haven't found the perfect solution. So Dr. Tunis, if you have a suggestion, the, the perfect solution for keeping hay in front of your horses <laughs> all winter. Um, yeah, especially I mean, even, if, just the netted, even just the netted smaller bales. I mean, I think, you know, it come, you, you raise a really good point. And I think that's something that, you know, if you're going to do big bales, it probably really pays to know the know the grower and have a good relationship with them, right? And have that sense, that the peace of mind that they've made really clean hay, and and they kind of know what they're doing when they make hay, um, so you don't get those nasty surprises so much. Um, mm -hmm. So that's that's some of it as well. Our next question is from Allison in Washington, and she wants to know if I blanket my horse, can I feed him less during the winter? So does blanketing offset uh, feed costs during the winter? It certainly helps. Um, you know, horses don't have to work so hard to keep warm, right, when you blanket them. So those calories that would be, you know, used to keep warm are not being used for that. So you may find that, you know, you don't have to feed as much. But, um, you know, there are some, so that's, that's the pro. Um, and that can certainly be a benefit if you have a hard keeper, if you have a senior horse, um, some young horses don't do particularly well in cold weather, young horses are a little more temperature sensitive, senior horses a little more temperature sensitive, horses that are underweight, you know, so these are all horses that could benefit from, you know, a certain level of blanketing, um, and obviously clipped horses as well. Uh, there's a lot of information out there now about, you know, what horses should be blanketed, what horses shouldn't be blanketed, and weights of blankets to put on at different temperatures and the like. Um, there's a lot more um, out there than, I mean, I think back to when we were blanketing a lot when I was a kid, and I'm like, oh, we were doing it all wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> as far as, you know, probably putting on far too many blankets than we should have been. Um, but, so I, but, but I don't... I don't want people to think, oh, I can just blanket my horse and I'll have to feed it as much. And there's, there's a lot of health benefits to being able to keep, you know, more hay in front of your horse. Remember, they're, they're designed to graze, right? I mean, they graze sort of 16 hours or so a day in their natural setting. So winter can be one of those few times where we can actually indulge them and let them do that. Um, and that's certainly, um, you know, better for digestive health uh, in the long run and better for your horse's mental health to be able to, you know, be consuming hay for longer periods in the day. So um, I, I would keep, I would keep blankets for those horses that, you know, you're already doing that. You're feeding as much forage as you, as you can. You're, you're doing all these things and you're still struggling to keep weight on, or you've, you know, fully clipped your, your horse or what have you, that is actually, you know, a necessity to put a blanket on that horse, not necessarily because you're just wanting to save, you know, having to feed them so much. Mm -hmm. Our next question is from Louise in Clayton, Washington. And Louise asks if she feeds 20 pounds of hay a day during the summer, is there a formula for how much I should feed my horse during the winter when it gets below zero degrees Fahrenheit? Yes, there is actually. <laughs> so, um, if you, so if you are able to maintain your horse, you know, that ideal body condition at about 20 pounds, of hay a day, there is actually um, a couple of things, but roughly, roughly speaking, um, for every, um, for every sort of like five degree drop in temperature below the horse's lower critical temperature, you want to add an additional mega calorie per day. And a mega calorie is about a pound of grass hay. 
So I can back up and kind of explain what lower critical temperature is. Um, lower critical temperature um, is basically the temperature when your horse needs more energy to maintain their core temperature. So generally we think of that as being around about 40, 41 degrees Fahrenheit for a horse with a summer coat and about 18 degrees Fahrenheit for a horse with a winter coat, which is probably a lot might be a lot cooler than, than people expect, right? People might think that their horse um, hits their lower critical temperature and higher temperatures than that. And, and so you have to really think about your individual horse. There's certainly variation, right? So variation between individuals. Um, so for example, a horse that's wet is going to reach its lower critical temperature at a higher temperature. And I, and I know, I mean, I'm having to wrap my head around this as I'm even saying it. So I understand for our audience, I have to think for a second, like, if your horse is wet, it's gonna reach its lower critical temperature, the temperature at which it needs more calories to keep warm at a higher temperature, like a higher ambient temperature. Um, so it's like you, right? If you, what do we do in the summer when it's super hot? We all jump in the pool with our clothes on and, and sit outside in wet clothes because it keeps us cool. We get, we get colder when we're wet and air moving over us, it keeps us colder. So basically, if your horse is wet, he's going to get colder quicker. He's going to get colder at warmer temperatures than if he were dry. Um, so that's one thing you have to think about. Uh, they've actually shown that as little as like basically a tenth of an inch of rain can cause cold stress in some horses um, because it flattens the hair. So one of the ways that horses keep warm, and it's the same as us, is that their hair stands on end, right? And it's called piloerection, and their hair stands on end and traps a layer of air within their coat between the outside and their skin and that helps keep them warm and so if they're wet they can't do that their hair is now stuck to their skin they can't create that layer of, of air next to their skin they're going to get colder quicker that's one of the downsides of blanketing if you get it wrong if you have the wrong weight blanket on you've now flattened their coat with a blanket and you've actually taken away their ability to keep themselves warm. So if you, you know, if you, if it's super cold and you put a lightweight blanket on a horse, he might actually be better off without that blanket because he would have been able to actually like, you know, keep himself warmer with his own coat because he would be able to make his hair stand up on end, which now he can't do because he's wearing a sheet or whatever. So you need to pay attention to not just the temperature for the day, but when you go to weather sites online, you'll often see the weather and you'll also see the feels like temperature, mm -hmm. right? So feels like takes into account things like wind chill. So that's another thing that will make horses feel colder, right? Like we all feel colder, you know, a 10, you know, a 10 degree day when it's dry and still feels different than a 10 degree day when it's windy. So it feels like a, you know, minus 15 degree day or whatever. You feel colder because of the wind chill. So you have to take that into account as well. Um, and then if it's wet and windy, now we're really, you know, feeling colder. Because mm -hmm. right? you really have that air movement going over wet skin. So you have to take all of that into account. Um, but then for every fight, so you have to kind of know your horse a little bit. I mean, I used to live in Arizona and... It was routinely, I mean, we stayed over 100 degrees for weeks at a time, you know, 110, 120. Um, our horses were chilly when it got down to 60. Mm -hmm. But that's a huge drop for them. Yeah. Versus, you know, a horse that lives in North Dakota is going to have a very different temperature tolerance. 
Um, so you kind of have to have a sense of what your horse's comfort level is. Um, and then, you know, sort of roughly every five degree drop, you can increase your hay by a pound. Working off of the feel, working off of the field like temperature. Yeah. Well, and describing how the hair coat works to keep the horse warm, I'm, I mean, it's like I blanket them if they're clipped or if they're one of my horses is staying in work during the winter. But then the others who just kind of hang out, uh, I try not to blanket them just to make my life uh, a little bit easier. And I think theirs too. Um, and right. I, yeah, and it's amazing, like they'll get wet. And then that water on them will completely freeze over. And if you stick your hand under the ice and into the hair coat, they're nice and cozy warm. Yeah. But there's this yep. insulative, like it's this tiny amount of insulation, but then their body heat is not melting that ice yep. that's on them. I think it's really amazing. Yep. So it um, really is. And yeah. I remember, you know, keeping horses in wet climates with a full coat. When you look at their coat, it makes these, the hairs join together in these little Vs. So you'll have almost like an inch wide patch of hair that's kind of joined together into a little V and it channels the water off them. And if you peel the hair back, their skin is dry. So if their skin is dry, you're in a better place than if their skin has gotten wet. You know, that's one reason, you know, with, we don't bathe horses in the winter, right? They have full coats and live out. We don't want to get rid of all those oils in their coat. You you groom them differently in the winter because you don't want to remove oils out of their coat and the like. And so it's a different, it's a whole different management. They, they really do have a, an amazing system for keeping themselves warm. Yeah. Do you have any suggestions for signs that a horse might be cold that we can look for? Um... I know there's data out there and I haven't looked for any for a while, but obviously shivering, right, is a, is a big one. Um, I know I used to think that feeling their ears, but I feel like I recently was reading that that's not such a good indicator anymore if their ears are cold. Um, I seem to recall reading that's not such a good indicator anymore. Um, I always used to, I mean, I, again, I don't know how scientific there is. There, there is research out there. I just haven't uh, read up on it. Uh, recently but I know like anecdotally from myself I used to put my hands up sort of between their hind legs kind of where their thighs touch for want of a better expression and you know surprisingly they're often quite warm up there between their you know between their hind legs um and the horses I've had horses that are cold and shivering and they don't feel warm there um but there's definitely there's definitely information out there I would encourage people to um to do, you know, to look online. Um, some of the extension sites probably have um, information on that as well. I feel like um, uh, there's definitely been some some work done on yeah. that. Well, and we do have a resource on thehorse.com. It's uh, how can I tell if my horse is cold? And Stephanie, our editor-in-chief, who is working in the background tonight, she's going to go ahead and post that for everyone. So if you're listening via your web browser, you'll be able to see that link to get to that article that, that has oh, some, that's great. some good hints. Yeah. Um, we yeah, have a follow-up question. I was just going to say, because I know that it, it's something that's changed a lot, right? I mean, as I was saying earlier, like what I used to do, I, re I realize is probably is not so scientifically sound as what we now realize we should be doing as far as blanketing. Like there's a lot of new information. So I really would encourage people to read the new 
data that's out there and some of the scientific information because it is a welfare issue. Um, you know, it's important to get yeah. it right. Yeah, and I think it's a welfare issue when horses are over blanketed as well. So right, um, exactly. No, I'm yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, we have a question from our live audience back to the round bales. Tim wants to know if you find a dead animal in a round bale, does that contaminate the whole bale or can you work around where you found the dead animal? Do you have any insight on that, Dr. Tunis? Um, I have to admit I'm not as up on um, my, my, you know, my sort of, gut reaction is is I would just say well clear because yeah sometimes what happens to and I think you have to look at that animal because and I know there have been cases of snake poisoning in bales where the animal actually gets chopped up right and then it gets okay. distributed throughout the bale so you may be finding a, a piece of animal and not the whole animal and it could be somewhere else in your bale so I just feel like it's probably away yeah. And I, I do know from other uh, things that we've done about botulism that horses are highly sensitive to botulism. So it actually takes less uh, of the toxin to kill a horse than it does a mouse, uh, which I think is just a fascinating factoid, which has stuck with me. Um, so if Tim, if you're listening, we do have a fact sheet and maybe Stephanie or Jennifer can pull it up and, and put the link in the chat box. But we have a fact sheet about botulism that does talk about uh, contamination of those round bales and I, I think that most of your vets would uh, recommend that you steer clear of them and then if you're feeding from the round bales uh, the vets that I've talked to have recommended uh, botulism vaccines so that's something to talk to your vet right. about and, yeah. and see if that's right for your for your horse but some something definitely to think about um, our next question is from Susan in Santa Barbara and Susan wants to know how much protein a senior horse needs during the winter or do there Protein needs change? Not really. I mean, I think this is this is a this is a great question because I think it's one of those common misconceptions where people feel that as their energy horses' energy requirements change, they need to feed more protein. That if a horse needs more energy, you need to feed more protein. We really don't want to rely on protein as an energy source. That's not protein's main job. Um, you know, carbohydrates and fats are really where we want to get our calories from, our energy from. And you know, when you say, oh, carbohydrates, everyone sort of goes, oh, no, not carbohydrates. But we have to understand there are many types of carbohydrates. As I was mentioning earlier, those structural carbohydrates, the cellulose, the hemicellulose, the pectins, the lignans, those are all carbohydrates. And then we have the ones that we all know about, and we're all sort of worrying about all the time, which is you know, the starches and the sugars. Those are carbohydrates also but they're structurally very different. So you can get calories from, you know, the traditional cereal grains, oats, barley, you know, corn, which are high in starch. And you can get calories from carbohydrates, structural carbohydrates like cellulose from hay. You can get um, calories from carbohydrates from what we kind of call in inverted commas, the super fibers, the really easily fermentable fibers like beet pulp. Um, Lots of you know pectin and hemicellulose in 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 those um, readily available carbohydrates, um, but those require microbial fermentation as well. So carbohydrates are very there's a great gamut of carbohydrates, and that's where we want to get the majority of our calories from. That's where 
horses in a natural setting get the majority of their calories from is from carbohydrates. Um, you know, in more recent years, we've started leaning into the fat and relying on fat as a, as a supplemental calorie source. Protein's job is, is not to provide calories. So having said that, uh, senior horses may not utilize dietary protein as well as other younger mature horses. There's, there's not a huge amount of senior specific research out there, but the little bit of research that is out there suggests that maybe senior horses need a slightly higher protein amount in their diet year round than other mature horses. And that's why when you look at commercial feeds made for senior horses, you'll often see that the protein content is like 14%. Um, whereas for your other mature horses, it can range from kind of 10 to 12%, depending whether they're working or not. Um, so you just want to maintain um, the same level of protein year round. Good quality protein in the diet is important. Um, especially if you have senior horses that are struggling to utilize the protein in their diet. So, um, you know, sometimes the protein quality in our hays is not as good. Um, and so depending on the hay you're feeding, you might want to add a supplemental source of protein in the diet. And that's where um, the commercial feed that utilize, you know, the likes of soybean meal, um, the better quality protein um, can be important. Um, our next question is from Elizabeth in Tennessee, and she just acquired a very malnourished horse through rescue. Are there any special considerations for taking this already malnourished, already thin horse through the winter? Now, Elizabeth, kudos to you for taking on this horse. Um, first of all, I would definitely be working with your veterinarian. Um, you know, I want to know, is it is it just malnourished or are we talking like actually emaciated? If the horse is really emaciated, you need to have the horse in a very careful refeeding program and work with your veterinarian on that because you can actually kill a horse refeeding an emaciated horse if you're not careful. Um, and it's very tempting to kind of get carried away and feed them too much. And, um, you know, their organ systems, if they've been really emaciated and not you know, they've, they've sort of shut down to a certain extent and they're not ready to handle um, an abundant diet yet. So even though the temptation may be to put a lot of feed in front of them, if you do them do that, you can actually kill them with something called the refeeding syndrome. So it's really important um, to really determine with your veterinarian, are you really looking about an, an emaciated horse or are we just talking a horse that's malnourished and poor? Um, <clears throat> so again, working with your veterinarian, I think you need to determine whether you know whether it's a good time to to do teeth and check teeth is it a good time to deworm again horses that are really um neglected may it may not be safe to deworm them so again please don't deworm them um, without consulting with your veterinarian because some of these you know rescue horses have extremely heavy worm burdens and deworming them needs to be done very carefully um and again, you know, they may, they, while they may need their teeth done, they may not yet be healthy enough to be put under sedation to get their teeth done. So it's a kind of a tricky, tricky space you're in. Um, so ideally, you know, those things have been done because obviously if your horse has poor teeth and a worm burden, they're not going to thrive um, as well as they will if you get those things taken care of. But you may not be able to do that just yet. Um, if your veterinarian, you know, looks in their mouth and says, oh, yes, you know, actually, look, we've got teeth issues, but we can't treat those yet, then you're going to be looking at 
you know, maybe using hay pellets and the like to, um, you know, for their forage instead of hay until you can get to a point where you can work on those teeth. Um, this is where blanketing can be very useful, right? If you have a horse that's thin and really doesn't have any body fat, they're not going to be able to regulate their temperature and keep themselves warm. Um, so that, that, that blanketing um, may really help, you know, we, we want those calories to go into body weight gain, not into keeping them warm. So um, you can certainly help um, by blanketing a horse like that. Again, you have to be a little bit careful if they're super, super thin. You know, blankets can rub really easily on horses that have really pronounced, you know, shoulders and hips and the like. So make sure you're taking those blankets off and checking for rubs and stuff if you've got a super thin horse. Um, and then beyond that, just, you know, plenty of good quality forage. Um, and um, you know, working in conjunction with your veterinarian, determining whether or not you need to have supplemental calories in there, you can use things like soaked beet pulp is very useful for horses that are underweight. Um, you know, you can feed up to about 40% of the daily forage intake as soaked as beet pulp. And one of the reasons why beet pulp is is great for the harder keepers and the underweight horses is the calorie content per pound of beet pulp is uh, higher than in hay. So most grass hays run about, you know, point, 0.8 megacalories per pound and one megacalorie per pound for really good quality grass hay. Your beet pulp is going to be more like 1.3 megacalories per pound, maybe a little higher. And so pound for pound, there's more calories in a pound of beet pulp than a pound of grass hay. Um, and yet it is, you know, the carbohydrates in beet pulp, even though it's called sugar beet pulp, there's no sugar in it unless it's had molasses added to it. There's very little sugar in beet pulp because they've taken the sugar out. What's, the beet pulp is what's left after the sugar's been extracted. So it's actually a very low starch, low sugar feed with a higher calorie content than grass hay that relies on microbial fermentation in the hindgut. So it's actually a very safe feed to feed um, and can be really useful for the underweight uh, horses whatever the reason for them being underweight is. We have a question from our live audience. Uh, Frank wants to talk about hay soaking. So can soaking hay in the winter help your horse get the amount of water that it needs or help keep it hydrated in addition to its regular water source? Yeah, absolutely. Any way you can get water into horses in the winter is a good thing. So, um, you know, soaking hay, um, um, feeding soaked beet pulp, um, making a mash out of your regular grain if you're feeding, you know, some kind of supplemental feed. Um, when I say grain, I'm using that very loosely, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. term, um, you know, but adding, you know, adding water to their bucket feed, um, any way you can get water into them in the winter is, is great. Do you have any advice for hay soaking? Because I know it actually changes the hay if you soak it. Um, and you may not want to actually give the water that the hay was soaked in to the horse. What can you that's, share? Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's, you don't need to soak it. It depends what your sort of MO for soaking it is. If you're you know, trying to soak out um, you know, some of the sugar, the water-soluble sugar, because you have a metabolic horse, you know, soaking for about 30 minutes to 60 minutes um, will help remove some of that sugar. Um, if you soak it for a really long time you start to leach out you know some of you know some other things some of the minerals some of the potassium you'll get rid of some of the iron um which may or may not may not be of benefit to your horse depending on you know if you have a horse with 
HYPP, getting rid of some potassium could be great. Um, but generally speaking, you don't want to soak hay for excessive periods of time because you do start to lose some of its nutritional value. The other big benefit to soaking hay in the winter is that, you know, oftentimes we're our horses in in the winter, either permanently they're in now or they're in at night and out during the day. And oftentimes our barns are not the best ventilated and horses um, can really suffer from being in environments with poor ventilation, whether that's because of dust inhalation, ammonia inhalation, um, dust in hay can be really irritate, irritating to the respiratory tract and soaking hay um, will help swell some of those dust spores that are in the hay and make it so that the horse can't breathe them in as well. I, it's, I, it's not as effective as steaming your hay for um, you know respiratory health, but it's better than not doing anything to it. If you, especially if you have a horse that's sensitive and, and has um, you know equine asthma. Yeah, and depending on how cold your climate is, your hay can freeze pretty quickly too after you've soaked it. There is that problem. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's really not, um, you know, and you're not going to want to always be handling soaked hay either. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty mis miserable in cold weather. Um, yeah. You also have to have a safe way to get rid of your water um, mm -hmm. because obviously you don't want to be pouring that on ground that then freezes because mm -hmm. you're going to end up with ice sheets, <laughs> which, yeah. are a ha which are a hazard. So you do need, with your soaking hair, you do need to think about, you know, where are you going to soak it? How are you going to dispose of that water? Um, you know, there is some issue with that water, you know, being contaminated with whatever you've soaked out of your hay. So you need to think about where it goes once you get rid of it. Yeah, it's about that time of year at my house where the bee pulp moves into the laundry room so it can soak yeah. uh, in, in in the house and the house smells like yeah. bee pulp. Um, so, and even my one horse is, he's just, he's not, he doesn't eat very fast. And I have definitely gone out and found like his bee pulp frozen to his feed pan uh, because he got distracted yeah. and didn't finish it. Um, oh dear. So, um, so our next question is uh, for, from Amariah in Indiana, and she wants to know, can you feed too much alfalfa during the winter? She has a two-year-old and a 19-year-old. What role can alfalfa play in feeding your horse during the winter months? Yeah, so alfalfa um, tends to have a slightly higher calorie content per pound than grass hay. So again, for those hard keepers, it can be a useful addition because, um, you know, sometimes these hard keepers just don't have much. They're just not that interested in eating, and that's part of their problem, right? And you need them to eat more because they need more calories, and they're just not that bothered by eating, you know, they're, for whatever reason. Um, and so you have to get more calories into them, hopefully without increasing the total amount of feed you have to feed them. Um, and so alfalfa has a slightly higher calorie content per pound than grass hay, so that can be a benefit. Um, it also has a, a much higher protein content. So for horses that sometimes struggle to maintain their top line, um, you know, having a slightly higher protein and there's a little bit more lysine, which is a limiting amino acid, essential amino acid. Um, I certainly work with a lot of dressage trainers who feel like, you know, if their horses don't have some alfalfa in the diet, they don't maintain their top line as well. And that's anecdotal, but it may be because the protein quality is a little better in alfalfa than in your average grass hay. Um, having said that, um, 
it is a lot of protein to feed, you know, if you're feeding straight alfalfa, I can always smell a barn that feeds a lot of alfalfa before I walk into it because all of that extra protein that's, you know, beyond the horse's requirement, all that nitrogen that's in the protein has to be excreted and it gets excreted as urea in urine. So horses that are on high alfalfa diets have to drink more because they have to make more urine. And that can be a bit of a trick in the winter when we're already struggling to get water in them. Um, but it also means that they're urinating a lot more. And so now we've got horses in enclosed barns, oftentimes in the winter, um, standing in high ammonia environments, and that's an irritant for their lungs. Um, so that's not always a great choice. Um, you know, as long as your you know, horse has, you know, healthy kidney and liver function, I'm not that worried about you know, the high protein. I mean, there's sort of this, bit of an old wives tale that if you feed, you know, alfalfa or super high protein, you're going, you know, it's going to result in kidney and liver damage in later life. And there's, there's no data to, to back that up. But certainly if you have a horse that has liver and kidney issues, you would want to stay away from a lot of alfalfa because, you know, you do have to process that protein and also the high calcium as well. Um, so that's something just to know about your horse. And then, you know, with a two-year-old, Younger horses, certainly out on the West Coast, and it depends where your alfalfa comes from. Our alfalfa on the West Coast tends to be very high calcium. It's not unusual for our calcium to phosphorus ratio to be about six times, even sometimes higher, six times more calcium than phosphorus. Um, and that can be a challenge to, to then balance that and get that down into that ideal kind of one and a half to two times more calcium than phosphorus in the ration. Obviously, I like having more, it's much better to have more calcium than phosphorus. I would rather have six to one calcium phosphorus ratio than the other way around yeah. and more phosphorus and calcium um, for bone health. But um, my personal preference is to kind of keep the alfalfa intake at around 25 to 30% of the horse's total forage. I feel like you get the best of, best of the alfalfa without all of the, you know, the issues of, you know, hugely excessive protein. We have a question from our live audience. Uh, Debbie wants to know what suggestions you have for feeding a 30-year-old hard keeper with bad teeth who refuses to eat soaked feeds. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, so I actually have a great solution for him. And I'm, I'm assuming when she says won't eat slow soaked feeds that she's actually worried about potentially feeding him pellets um, because he's got bad teeth and choking. There are some, there's an automatic, there's automatic feeders out there on the market that you can use to dispense pellets at um, times of your choosing, but not only will, um, there's one out there that not only will it dispense feed at the time of your choosing, it also then, let's say you wanted to feed a pound of feed, it will drop that pound of feed in like two, three ounce servings. So they literally get a handful at a time. So the, the choke risk, I would imagine, is pretty small because they're literally getting a handful of pellets at a time. And then like 30 seconds later, they get another handful of pellets. Mm -hmm. So for your guy that needs to be on a pelleted diet because he doesn't have teeth, um, but won't eat it if it's soaked, that might be your solution. And for everyone who is listening uh, via their uh, web browser, 
Jennifer went ahead and posted a link to our ho our hay soaking fact sheet. Um, so if you want more information about hay soaking and how that might change your uh, your hay, you can take a look at that and, and find more details. Um, we have a question from Jennifer in Great Falls, Montana, and Jennifer wants to know what can we do to lessen the chances of colic during the winter months. Uh, what what suggestions do you have? related to nutrition and feeding that can help our horses make it through the winter? Because it seems like winter, I mean, if they, it's like they're going to call it, it's always on the coldest night <laughs> that you end up walking right, your horse right. in the barn. Right. Um, yeah. So. Right. Which is always super, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and the thing is, 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 and I think you guys have some great resources for this. Um, we blame the weather, but often it's because we've changed our man management the weather makes us mm -hmm. change our management you know so we go from feeding pasture to feeding dry hay we take them out of a you know pasture where they're walking all day and we put them in a box stall so they're not moving all day you know those kinds of things all increase your risk of colic um the biggest thing though is keeping them drinking if you can keep them drinking your risk of impaction you know goes down um so there was a research where they looked at ponies and they increased their water intake by 40 percent when the water is warmed above freezing. Mm -hmm. So keeping your water warmed is crucial. Um, and I admit to having never lived in a location where I needed to use, you know, water heaters or bucket heaters or whatever, so I don't claim to be an expert in those things. But, um, you know, looking for tools that you can use to keep your water from freezing will really help keep your horse's water intake up. Um, don't rely on snow intake. Right. Um, some horses do get acclimated to eating snow, but in that period where they're getting acclimated, they may not eat enough um, and can be de dehydrated. So don't just think that, oh, well, they'll just eat snow and that'll be enough. And plus the fact the moisture content of snow is hugely variable, um, mm -hmm. which can lead to huge variations in water consumption if you're relying on snow intake. So, you know, you need to figure out some way of getting them water other than relying on snow if your horses are out in pasture. Salt is very beneficial if you rely on block salt the rest of the year a lot of horses in cold climates won't use block salt in the winter i'm not a big fan of relying on block salt really ever regardless of the weather um, mm -hmm. i would rather have you know salt in their you know bucket feed or damp your hay and sprinkle on your hay or whatever because keeping their sodium up will keep them drinking um you know so you basically need you know, horses maintenance sodium requirement is about it's about one tablespoon of table salt per 500 pounds of body weight so if you have you know a thousand pound 1100 pound horse you they need to be consuming about two tablespoons of salt a day yes some commercial feeds have salt in them yes there's sodium in hay but you know if you don't know how much hay your, your horse is eating or you don't know the sodium content of your hay and i've seen it be markedly variable some hays have good sodium content some have hardly any um so for me it's just that peace of mind of knowing that i'm giving you your minimum daily requirement i'm not relying on you going and licking a block i'm going to give it to you i'm also going to give you a block so that if you decide you want more you can go find it if you want but for me it's some of the cheapest colic insurance you can have so I'm, and if your I, horse want to... won't eat, I was gonna say if your horse won't eat salt because there are some out there um you know, you can use a good electrolyte. I generally use electrolytes for um, sweat replacement when they're working in addition to their salt. 
but there are those horses that won't eat salt and that little bit of you know electrolyte maybe a little bit of you know tastes a little different but they will eat it if that still won't work pour a little bit of oil over your salt or electrolyte it coats it and it gets rid of the caustic taste and they won't taste it as much and they'll, they'll more readily consume it so I want you to say that amount of salt again, because every time you say it and every time you write it for us in uh, in articles that you write for the horse about nutrition, I'm always stunned about the amount of salt <laughs> that a horse needs. And I <laughs> admit one, like, it's hard. It, it's, it's one tablespoon, one U.S. tablespoon per 500 pounds of body weight. So, so that's, you know average horse needs about two tablespoons per day that provides them with their maintenance sodium requirement yeah. and so that's, that's not the uh, amount that that doesn't cover what they need if they're sweating working hard it's hot outside that's just their need standing around on a cool day yeah. and so that's an eighth of a cup for a thousand pound horse a day Oh golly, you're asking it's me to convert two tablespoons. tablespoons to yeah. cups? It's I I bake. I bake. I'm I'm positive it's two okay, tablespoons. Good. So it's just it I always really struggle. It, it really does astound me that and I you know, I added a little bit, but I have a hard time putting that much in. If your horse isn't getting loose salt, should you transition them to that slowly? Is that a lot of salt to throw at them at one time? Yeah, 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 absolutely. It would be like you suddenly throwing, you know, a whole bunch of salt in your dinner. So yes, a little bit, you know, a little bit, work up to it like everything else, you know, slow and gradual over a few days. Um, you know, if you're feeding twice a day, put, you know, put a tablespoon in the morning, ultimately, and one in the afternoon. Um, you know, and you may, you may, you know, you have to kind of play around with what your horse will consume. But I, I like that peace of mind of knowing that I have at least some in their bucket feed. Okay. Well, we have run out of time. Uh, it, it's already been an hour. Um, so that's, that's all the, the questions we can get to. Um, but there's lots of great questions. And I know that some of you who are listening have submitted questions. I am going to share those with Dr. Tunis. And she writes a commentary every Monday on the horse. And it's included in our nutrition newsletter. If you want to sign up to get that nutrition newsletter, you can read something written by Dr. Tunis every week. And I'm going to go ahead and send her some of these questions so that we can cover them this winter. Because I think there's some other points we didn't get to, um, some fat questions that, that are really great. And so I know I have lots for you to work on, Dr. Tunis. So Great. Um, now we love getting questions. So please please do send us your questions all year round. Yep, all year all year round. Every week, uh, Dr. Tunis is very responsible and turns those in every week for me. I appreciate it. So um <laughs> So thank you, Dr. Tunis, for joining us. I appreciate you and, and all you do for, for us at The Horse. Um, oh, you're welcome. It's always great fun. I love doing these events. The questions are always fabulous, and you yeah. have great questions. So, yeah, I always enjoy them. I want to thank everyone who submitted questions that, that we could use tonight and also those who listened live and submitted questions. Um, I hope you can join us next month. Uh, it's going to be December already, and we're going to be talking about navicular disease. Until then, from all of us here at The Horse, have a great night.